Scriptures. Turn in your Bibles to probably one of the most important passages within God's Word, Matthew 22. Matthew 22. You have a sermon study guide if you'd like to follow along and take notes with me this morning. If you don't have one, lift up your hand and someone, an usher, will come and serve you. Ushers, and I don't have any ushers in here right now, it looks like. I got one, okay, on the main floor. Help me out, men. Help me out. I see hands up, if you would. Matthew chapter 22, within God's Word. Praise the Lord. We appreciate you being faithful to God's house. I challenge you, if you're not using a Bible this morning, I get worried about this, take a Bible out of the pew rack and learn how to find Matthew 22 in a Bible. I get worried with smartphones or relying on my sermon study guides or relying on the screen that you don't know how to find things in the Bible. And have a little fun with me this morning. Uh, try to find some of the passages uh, that we're preaching on by going through a Bible. I know it sounds archaic, obsolete, antiquated in a smartphone computer era, but uh, you'll find it challenging to your spirit and your life. Matthew 22. Praise God. Praise God. Tragically, three men died in a car crash, but they went to heaven. Mike, Bill, and Ted. Mike, Bill, and Ted. And when they arrived in heaven, shock of all shocks, heaven was jam-packed with ducks. Ducks were walking and squawking all around heaven, every square foot. And St. Peter, who met them at the gate, said, We've got one rule in heaven. Don't step on the ducks. Well, they did okay for 24 hours, but Mike, not being too coordinated, don't you know it, he stepped on a duck and poof! Immediately he was chained. Chained for all eternity to the oogliest bride of Frankenstein woman that you've ever witnessed. And he went walking away crying bitterly, chained to that bride of Frankenstein because he stepped on a duck. Bill and Ted went for months without stepping on any ducks, but poor Bill got out of bed one morning and stepped on two ducks. Poof! He's chained to a nine-foot tall, drooling she-wolf, covered head to foot in hair. I mean, hit with an ugly stick. <laughs> it was bad. It was awful. And Bill went walking into eternity, chained uh, to that she-wolf, crying. Ted was careful upon careful upon careful. Ted went year after year not stepping on a duck. But one afternoon in heaven, all of a sudden, poof, he's chained to a drop-dead gorgeous supermodel. Oh, my. Ted looked at her, and, 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 and he said to her, he said, this is beyond my wildest expectations. I would have never 
expected this to be chained to a supermodel for all eternity. This is incredible. This is wonderful. This is awesome. How in the world did I ever deserve this? She looked at him and said, I don't know how you deserved it, but I stepped on a duck. I stepped on a duck. Expectation. I have sensed a direction from the Lord to theme the year. I try to theme each year for our Lakeside family. This year, expectation, 2017. The last few weeks, we've talked about expectation. We've preached on it. We've taught on it. We've talked about faith expectation, the prayer of expectation. You can go through life expecting the worst, or you can expect the best. You can expect a curse, or you can expect blessing. You can expect that God will show up and fight your battles for you, or you can expect defeat. As for me and my house, we want to expect God's best. We want it to be the best year ever in the name of Jesus. Expectation. We've taught on the role that expectation plays in your relationship with God. But what role does expectation play in your relationship with others? With others. Second only to our relationship with the Lord, God's Word focuses on our relationship with others. How you respond to your relationships can mean the difference between real victory or real failure. Real happiness or real despair in this life, it can mean the difference between heaven or hell. This morning, a new sermon series, and it's the message titled this morning. Here it is, that crazy little thing called love. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask for your blessing, your goodness. Lord, we ask, Lord, for your divine, your divine favor this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. You know you're getting older when you have to adjust your belt. Mark it down with me this morning. When Jesus was asked to identify God's greatest expectation for our lives, Jesus said it was all about love. Love. Jesus said in Matthew 22, as a religious leader came to him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Would you circle that word commandment? Let's... Let's exegete here this scripture. Circle that word commandment right next to the word commandment. Write the word expectation. Expectation is another term or word that describes commandment. A commandment is God's expectation of you and I. So this religious leader, this religious lawyer, who comes to Jesus is wanting to know what is God's highest expectation 
of you and I. Jesus responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two expectations. Here Jesus reveals a threefold, threefold expectation. Love God, love others, love yourself. It's God's greatest calling. It's God's greatest expectation in our lives. In God's eyes, love is the greatest key to a happy and successful life. Love is not something that is so profound you need to earn a PhD to be able to understand it. Love is not a concept so mystical you have to be some super spiritual saint to obtain it. Yet why do so many struggle with loving others? Could it be that love is the most used and abused word in the English language? The most misunderstood? So before we can reveal what God's real love is all about, let us, let us, let us look at what real love is not. Write it down. God's revelation of real love is far more than words, feelings, or a physical relationship. You know, talk is cheap. I hope you understand. I hope you're keenly aware. Young people, young adults, I hope you understand that love is far more than words. Your pastor's wife, Becky, caught me on this the other day. She came to me and put her arms around me and she said, do you really love me? I thought, man, I got to say something really poetic, real quick. And my, my, I, I like listening to the oldies and so this kind of flashed through my mind. I thought, I will come across really poetic with this. And I said, I love you more than yesterday and not as much as tomorrow. Ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep me from loving you. She said, would you go upstairs and fix the leaky toilet right now? Right now? Right now, I said. I said, there's a Star Trek marathon going on right now. Not now, no. Talk is cheap, real love. Mark, mark my word. <laughs> it's more than words, yeah. Real love, real love, real love is more than feelings. You've heard me share it years ago. A guy came up to me and he said, Pastor, every time I'm around Stephanie, every time I'm around her, I, I get dizzy. I, I, I can't see straight. Uh, you think it's love. I said, I think you need to go to an eye doctor. I think you need glasses. Love's far more than feelings, more than emotions. That's right. Remember, infatuation isn't real love. Many of us remember high school, junior high love. And I remind you, if you subsist on puppy love, puppy love leads to a dog's life. It's not real love. Love's not how Hollywood portrays it. Hollywood, uh, you, you know, equates love with sex. Love, real love, is not a glandular hormonal response. Real love is not hairy hormone. 
with the urge to merge. And by the way, girls, next time you're out on a date, next time you're with your guy, and next time uh, he urges you and invites you into the back seat of the car, down in the basement or in the bedroom when mom and dad aren't home, next time he, he uh, this milk toast, namby-pamby, uh, uh, wishy-washy, uh, half-hearted, lukewarm, uh, uh, hairy hormone says, if you love me, you'll... You take your hand and extend it out. The Bible says, what's over thy hand findeth to do? Do it with all your might. You slap him across the chops and make his ears ring like church bells in the name of Jesus and say, I want to go home now, now, now. I am not a tawdry piece of your hormonal property. I'm a child of God now. And today, the way I see things, some of you guys might need to extend that hand, didn't I? with Harriet hormone. Real love, would you agree with me, is not free love. Free love. The 1960s sexual revolution brought a revolution to the home place, to the marriage place. A whole generation rose up and now they've had children. And what has it brought us? Huh? What has free love brought us? Uh, it's, it's brought us more than 55 sexually transmitted disease. We have found out that free love carries a hefty price tag, doesn't it? Free love, free love says, hey, we don't know, need no piece of paper, some marriage license to make our love real. We'll just shack up together. And it sounds so romantic. It sounds so loving. Sir, ma'am, young person, hear me in this. I've been to more weddings than probably anybody in this church. Hear me in this. Real love is a man who without any hesitation, a woman without any hesitation, is able to get up before a church, a congregation, family and friends, at the very least the justice of the peace and witnesses. Because no matter what, an unseen guest, an unseen witness, an unseen marrying person is witnessing that event. And that man and woman is able to publicly testify of their committed love. They're able to testify for richer or for poorer, in sickness or in health, uh, for better or for worse. I commit my love to you till death do us part. I want to grow old with you. Let me tell you something about free love. Free love. Committed love says till death do us part. Free love says till disagreement do us part. Till you lose your good looks do us part. Till times get tough do us part. Till I find somebody better looking do us part. Free love is not real love. I can tell you countless situations that all of a sudden one morning, free lovers woke up, packed their bags, and went on to other free lovers. And listen, I'll be blunt with you. Any dog can do that. God designed marriage. God declared it. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, 
And what has God joined together? Man and woman. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Whatsoever God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And we, have a, we have a culture right now that's putting asunder God's plan, but that's a whole other sermon. Real love's more than a marriage of convenience. Real love's more than a marriage of convenience. Some of you are subsisting on a marriage of convenience, and you're settling, you're settling. My heart breaks for you. You're settling for far less than what God has designed you for and marriage for. Can we talk? Thank you. I need a seat. I preached three times over the weekend, and this is my third time preaching this morning. And I ain't getting younger. But the Holy Spirit of God is empowering me right now. <laughs> so listen to me. If I had a nickel for every time I've had a young girl, a young boy sit down with me telling me why they want to get married when I ask the question and they give these answers, I'd be a rich man. Ask the young girl, why do you want to get married? Because I'm sick and tired of living with my parents. I want, I want a man that will hang on my every word and listen to every nuance and verbosity of my vocalization and my verbalization. I want, I want a Don Juan. I want a Romeo, a Valentino. I want somebody that'll romance me. I want a man that'll give me security. I want a man that'll provide for me and be a good father for my children. I want, I want, I want. Sit down with the guy. And what will the guy tell you? Huh? I want a woman that'll cook me good meals. I want a woman that'll clean my house. Wash my dirty clothes. Pick up my socks off the floor and put my boxers in the hamper. And I want a woman. I want, hear me in this. I want a woman that brings home the bacon and stirs it up in a pan and makes me feel like a man and makes that bedroom come alive at night. I want, I want, I want. Now, what happens when we bring these two I wants together? I think I've shared it with you before. It's called the tick and the dog syndrome. What's a tick? What's a tick? Somebody tell me. I don't need a scientific explanation. I don't need a scientific definition. What's a tick? You guys... It's a blood sucker. I got, you should hear the answers I'm getting up here. Symbiotic relationship between a, 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 a parasitical uh, uh, encumberment upon a, a, a mammal. Okay, no. It's a blood sucker. And what does a blood sucker do? It takes, it takes, it takes, it takes, and it gives how much? Nothing. Now, here's the issue. Here's the issue, and some are subsisting on this level in marriage. What happens when you got two ticks in a home and no dog? 
two ticks and no dog. You've got disaster. You've got civil You've got World War III. There it is. Marriage of convenience. Real love. That's not real love. I hope you understand that Jesus revealed real love as unconditional, sacrificial. Write that down. Acts of love. Unconditional. Sacrificial. It's going to cost you something. It's being a giver, not a taker. It's more than words. It's more than feelings. It's what you do. It's best described when Jesus said in Matthew 25, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Real love, unconditionally, sacrificially, gives. It serves the needs of others without expecting anything in return. According to Jesus, this kind of loving is the ultimate genuine signature of a Christian. No counterfeit here. It's the genuine article of being a Christian. Jesus said in John 13, By this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus' real love for others is our highest calling and God's greatest, write it down, expectation upon our lives. There is probably... No better description, definition, classification, categorization, itemization, or prioritization of love than what the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write down in 1 Corinthians 13. Hear the word of the Lord. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Now for most of you that went right over your heads, that's why you need a preacher. Let's expound, let's expand upon the word of the Lord here. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, it doesn't matter if you are a super, spiritual, hyper, Pentecostal Christian who speaks in tongues, God's language, your prayer language, 40,000 miles an hour. If you don't have love, you are nothing. Paul is saying it doesn't matter if you have the gift of prophecy and you know the future just as well as we know yesterday. It doesn't matter if you know about what happens in Wall Street, what happens about the next natural disaster. Uh, if you know the next time uh, when ISIS, the terrorist organization, strikes, uh, it doesn't matter if uh, Wall Street calls you up, the media's at your front door, or President Donald Trump uh, is inviting you to the White House to find out when the next uh, uh, event will take place. If you have love, you are nothing. 
Paul is saying it doesn't matter if you have the intellect of an Einstein, a Thomas Edison, uh, Jonas Salk, who discovered the polio vaccine, uh, or Stephen Hawking, who is probably the greatest mind in our generation. Paul is saying it doesn't matter if you win the Nobel Prize for the cure of cancer, or you have solved the problem of cheap energy by creating atomic fusion. It doesn't matter if you're Time Magazine's person of the year. If you, have if you do not have love, in God's eyes, you are an absolute zero. Paul is saying even if, like Bill Gates, you give away billions upon billions of dollars to alleviate the suffering of millions around the globe, but if you have not love, you are absolutely positively nothing. It doesn't matter if you have mountain-moving miracles flowing through you. It doesn't matter if you pack out stadiums and you have so much faith and so much healing power that you are able to lay hands upon the sick and they recover. It doesn't matter if you're causing the blind to see, the lame to walk, that you're raising the dead. If you have no love, in God's eyes, you have missed the mark. You are nothing. So why is it that we invest so much time, so much energy, so much effort in trying to please God in ways that are not His highest expectation or His greatest goal for our lives? Why is it that we try to be so uh, uh, successful in so many other ways that for God they count less than nothing? And we end up missing the mark. But the problem, hear me, hear me, saints, the problem goes deeper. It goes even deadlier. John the Apostle said in 1 John, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in If real love is lacking in you, you remain in death. It doesn't matter how many church memberships you have. It doesn't matter how many ministries you're involved in, how many positions in this church that you hold. It doesn't matter if you're an elder, a deacon, or you have reverend in front of your name. If you do not love the way that God has called you to love, if you do not forgive, if you do not serve, if you do not bless, if you do not give sacrificially of yourself to encourage and uplift others, you are not a child of God. You are not a Christ. Christ follower. You are not a Christian. 1 John 4, 8, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I don't know how we can do it any simpler. Before there's a need for a Holy Ghost Pentecostal fire of God revival. We need a love revival. We need a baptism of love here at Lakeside Assembly of God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Without love, Christianity is just another cult. The world doesn't care about what we know. They want to know, do we care? Do we care? 
fill in the blank with me. It's easy to love the lovely. Oh, it's easy to love good-looking people. And it's easy to love loving people. But it's a whole nother matter to love difficult, unloving people. Can I hear an amen? I mean, we're talking about your street's sourpuss that lives on your street, and he just happens to be your neighbor next door. We're talking about your demanding boss. You're not his or her employee. You're his slave. I don't want any staff members saying amen right now. We're talking about your perfectionistic in-laws who let you know that uh, you'll never be good enough to be married to their child. We're talking about the elderly parent who's infirm and aged and needs your 24-7 attention. They've become very difficult to care for. We're talking about especially difficult children. Many times, those children are not little children, but grown big children, defiant children, rebellious children. I remember I stood defiantly before my dad and mother, and I stuck out my little bony chest, and I said, I've had it up to here with your rules. Rules, rules, rules. I'm out of here. And I was expecting them to be on their knees, begging and imploring. Oh, Phil, holy. My dad said, we'll help you pack your bags. Get, honey, get the luggage out here right now. I said, something is wrong with this picture here. The unloving people, the difficult people, we're talking about the hyperactive child that you have been blessed with in your home. This child can occasionally drive even the most mild-mannered parent to the funny farm. And you need the grace of God to keep loving. We're talking about the child that walks and lives and has embraces the Peter Pan syndrome. Does anyone know the Peter Pan syndrome? Does anyone know what Peter Pan constantly refrained and reiterated? I don't want to grow up. They might not say it verbally, but they sure say it with their actions. I, 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 I'm talking about the young adult child that is living like a 12-year-old. Irresponsible, immature, wrong decisions, never on time, never obeys, bending constantly the rules. I don't want to grow up. 40 years old living in your basement. You need prayer. You need the love of God flowing through you, sir and ma'am, if you've got that down in your basement. But it's not just the difficult children. It's the difficult spouses. There's the non-communicating spouse. He only has four words in his whole vocabulary. Nothing. I don't know. I don't care. Going to bed. And day in and day out. There's the complaining spouse. Never has a good word. Criticizes. Cuts down. Complains. 
There's the high maintenance spouse. Every morning you wake up and it's like turning another page. You don't know what you're going to wake up to. It's like Michigan weather. I mean, it changes constantly. You might wake up one day and you swear they're drunk. You swear they're high. You wake up the next morning, moody, 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 high maintenance, uh, weight around your neck. And oh, it exhausts you so much uh, to keep them happy, to uplift them, to encourage them, just to get them to a level of normalcy. I'm trying. Then there's the unromantic spouse. The unromantic spouse. I mean, he or she has all the love and affection and romance of, of spam. Now, I agree with you, it's easy to respond to these difficult, tough-to-love people in our lives, unloving people. It's easy to respond to them with resentment, isn't it? They've so disappointed us. They've so hurt us. They make life miserable for us. It's so easy to respond to them with resentment and, and retaliation. Did you hear what was just posted on, on, on Craigslist just recently? Huh? Oh, Look at this one up on the screen. Will trade my non-cooking and non-shopping wife with one attitude problem for one Super Bowl ticket. No Indian givers. Call Jim. Hurry. Do you sense any difficulty in that love relationship there? Huh? Maybe I told you before about the woman that was out shopping and as she came through the checkout counter, the cashier, the cashier noticed in her purse, uh, jammed in her purse with all the other paraphernalia that women have in their purse. By the way, you know, the worst words that I ever hear from my wife are, it's in my purse, you'll find it in my purse. We're talking about the outer limits here, the twilight zone, the bottomless pit. But that's a bunny trail. Let's get back on track. The cashier noticed in this woman's purse filled with all of its paraphernalia, noticed a TV remote control there. And the cashier said, you mind me asking, why do you have a TV remote control in your purse? And the woman said, well, my, my husband will never go shopping with me. My husband complains that I always spend so much. So uh, legally, legally, this is the most evil thing that I can do to him. Take his remote control away. Or listen how this wife responded. Look on the screen. Listen how this wife responded. He didn't like the casserole. He didn't like my cake. My biscuits were too hard, not like his mommy used to make. I didn't perk the coffee right. He didn't like the stew. I didn't mend his socks the way his mommy used to do. I pondered for an answer as I was looking for a clue. Then I turned around and smacked him, just like his mommy used to do. It's easy to love loving people. It's difficult to love unloving, unlovely people. Capiche? 
But how does God want us to respond? God calls us up to higher ground. John 13, 34, Jesus said a new command. A new command. What do we substitute the word command for? Expectation. A new expectation I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Do you know how radical this was? Jesus is speaking into a cultural context that grew up under Old Testament teaching that said tooth for a tooth, eye for an eye. They hurt you, you hurt them. You recognize that? Jesus was speaking to a culture that if you forgave a man once, you were a, a holy man. If you forgave them twice, you were a very good man. You forgave them three times, you were godlike. So Peter comes to Jesus and says, should I forgive my brother seven times? Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. Keep loving, keep forgiving until it becomes a habit, a holy habit. Do you see that there? This is radical. This is revolutionary. Love one another. But Jesus goes beyond that. I want, to, I want to remind you, our world says love one another. I want to remind you that before Jesus ever came on the planet Earth, on the earthly scene, Confucius, Confucius was already teaching love your neighbor. That's why we have to go deeper here. That's why you need a pastor. Listen to what Jesus says. A new expectation I give you. Love one another. But he doesn't stop there. To what degree are we to love one another? As I have loved you. Wow. Wow. He hung upon a cross. They were spitting on him. They were torturing him, sadistically mocking and ridiculing him. Does he call down angels to destroy them? Does he call down curses upon them? What do we hear? Father, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Oh, God, give me love like that. Give me love like that. Lord, I want to go to the next level. I want to go into a new dimension of loving in this year of 2017. I want a love that, that holds on to the promises of God and the person of God. A love that is not namby-pamby, wishy-washy, that has a wishbone instead of a backbone. I want a love that hunkers down. It's tenacious. It's bulldog. It's unrelenting. It keeps loving no matter what. I want your love flowing through me. He calls us to a higher degree of love. The world loves one another all the time. This is Christ-like love. This is God's love. This is Holy Spirit love. Let's go to another new dimension. Let's go even further. What does it really mean to love like Jesus? Of the 14 definitions of love that are given to us in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul gives us a prioritization. 
out of the 14 definitions of love, which one does the Holy Spirit choose for Paul to write down first? Love is patient. How patient are you? How patient are you? I'm going to do some meddling right now with you and with me. How patient are you? Are you like me? Do you stand in front of the microwave shouting, hurry up! Do you sit parked at a red light, especially this one right here on Shaner by Taco Bell? Do you sit there at that red light screaming at that light, I'm growing old! Do you drive through your favorite fast food hamburger joint and you go through the fast food lane waiting for your hamburger to come out the window? Do you call out the window? Do you scream out and say, are you killing a cow in the backyard? Not me, not your pastor. No, I wouldn't do that. And we're just that way with God too, aren't we? We scream, God, where are you? Why haven't you answered? Why haven't you moved our mountain? We want a genie in a bottle type God. We want him to move at our command. We want him to be the bellboy of heaven. But the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible is a story from cover to cover of God's patience. In the beginning, God sent Moses and the Ten Commandments. And how did the people ultimately, what did they ultimately do with Moses and his Ten Commandments? rejected it. So God sent his prophets, and what did the people do with God's holy prophets that preached to them, thus saith the Lord? What did God's people do? Stone the prophets. So God sent them kings, kings of Israel, kings of Judah, and what do we find out with the majority of those kings? Backslidden, heathen, pagan. That's the Old Testament. But when we come to the New Testament, what did God's patient love with the world finally do? He sent his son, not an angel, not a nice idea, not a philosophy. He sent his very best, the Son of God, Christ Jesus, laid in a Bethlehem manger, laid upon a cross. Why? 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 For God so loved the world. He keeps loving. He keeps chasing us down. He keeps pursuing us. He keeps persisting with unrelenting love. Even now, some of you have questioned, some of you have asked, why hasn't Jesus come back again? Why has God delayed his return? The Bible prophesies that in the last days, there would be some that would question whether or not Jesus was even coming back. Lord, Pastor Phil has been preaching and teaching for decades about your soon return. Why haven't you come back yet? Second Peter says to us very definitively, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
That's why, that's why, that's why I'm believing that there's a revival coming. I hear the sound of the rain coming. I hear the rain coming. I'm believing that there's going to be a last day's great revival that will sweep this country, our nation, and around the world before the soon return of Jesus Christ because he is not willing that any should perish but that all will come to repentance because of his patient love. His patient love. His love for you and I. Write it down. Patient love never gives up expecting God's best for others. It's God's tough love for tough to love people. The tough love I'm talking about is not the kind where you've had it up to here and you finally put your kids' clothes in plastic bags and leave them on the driveway and lock the doors and change the locks. That's not the tough love I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of love that you utilize with tough-to-love people. It's called patient love, expectation love, love that just won't let go and keep on loving no matter what. I'm talking about bulldog. <laughs> Love that locks its jaws upon the holy promises in God's word, upon the person and the character of an almighty God who will never forsake us or leave us, who always keeps his promises. And you keep loving, you keep praying, you keep expecting, you keep believing that God somehow, someway is going to turn them around. And God is going to make a way for them to be restored, delivered, healed, set free in the name of Jesus. Some of you have grandchildren. Some of you have nieces and nephews. Some of you have children, spouses that you need to be praying this kind of prayer with. You need to exercise this kind of love with. I'm not preaching about a passive rest on your laurels, get in your rocking chair religion type of loving. I'm talking about love with backbone, not a wishbone. I'm talking about love that's not milk toast, namby pamby, wishy washy, or wimpy. I'm talking about love that has muscles. I'm talking about a mother, a saint of God, who before she goes to bed every night, she intercedes for that lost child. Come home, my child. Come home, my child. I plead the blood of Jesus over you. This morning in morning song, I stood in agreement. I stood in faith partnership with a couple who said, Pastor, pray for our niece, our niece Tracy. Would you write that name down if you can right now? Our niece Tracy. She was brought up in an Assembly of God church. She was brought up in a Pentecostal Holy Spirit church. Born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. Went on to Christian University graduated with a Bible college degree. And pastor, right now, Tracy's a prostitute in California. She's lost. She's blind. The prisoner needs to be set free. Would you pray for Tracy? Would you saturate that need to the Lord in prayer? That's what patient love does. 
patient love I'm trying to get across to you. It's not passive. It, it doesn't uh, sit in the rocking chair of religion and go to sleep. Uh, uh, pa patient love, expectation love is believing for God's best, believing for restoration, believing for miracles, believing for healing. So it keeps loving. It keeps the communication lines open. It keeps interceding. It keeps trusting. It stands upon the rock solid promise of God. I am not willing that any should perish, but that all all should come uh, to the faith. Uh, all come to repentance. How about it? Do you have a difficult spouse that you're married to? And all the powers of hell whisper in your ear, they've hurt you. They've disappointed you. They've destroyed your dreams. Things have not turned out like you have planned. This was not the script that you have written. They've hurt you. You hurt them. You birthed and you born a child. You've raised them in the church. You dedicated them to the Lord. Many of the adult children here this morning, I dedicated as babies unto the Lord. They went through Sunday school. They went through Bible quiz, Royal Rangers, Missionettes, the youth ministry. You were faithful as a parent. You invested thousands upon thousands of dollars into their education and into their welfare into their health care. You've given so much. You've given the last ounce of your energy into their lives, but they're so disappointing you. They're breaking your heart. Every step that they take, they want to bend the rules. They want to hurt you by their actions. They're not living for God the way that you had dreamed. Their plan, the disappointment goes so deep. The hurt goes so deep you can't express it with words. And so the demons of hell whisper in your ear, cut them off, cut them off. Bless the other children, but cut them off. The hurt goes so deep. But then you read the word of God. And the Word of God is so comforting. It is so instructive. It's the guidelines for success, the guidelines for happiness, the guidelines for prosperity, then especially the guidelines of God saying, this is my son, my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. And the Word of God comes together with the Spirit of God who causes you to rise up and you declare to the powers of hell with that unsaved, that lost, that blind, backslidden child. My child was created for the Spirit of the Lord. An enemy, the blood of Jesus, is against you. You have no authority in their life. My Lord has all authority in heaven and earth, in the name of Jesus. You cannot have my child. I claim them for Jesus. And it cannot be otherwise. It cannot be otherwise. It cannot be otherwise.
Expectation faith, patient love has to so well up in you that you become like a Holy Ghost energizer bunny. An energizer bunny still going, still loving, still expecting, not letting go. This was the story of Curtis Kelly. Curtis Kelly writes in his book that at age four, he was already hearing the voices. Curtis Kelly at age four was already saying, at age four, I heard the demonic voices whispering into my little child's brain. You can get high on drugs that you can find. You don't have to wait for your older brothers to come home and bring you the drugs. As he grew up in East L.A., at age 10, Curtis Kelly was hooked, addicted on crack cocaine at age 10. At age 15, he heard the voices again for the second time in his life. He was in a bar, and he heard the voices again. And the voices said, there is a high that is greater than any other high. If you will mix heroin with crack cocaine and drink alcohol to mix an unholy cocktail mixture, a toxic brew, you can achieve a high unlike any other high. So he did it. And suddenly, suddenly, the floorboards of the bar opened up and the demons of hell, he saw them, came out and ripped his soul out of his body. And he descended into that nightmarish place, a pit of hell. And those demons began to torture him, sadistically began to pierce his soul and bite upon him and gnaw upon him as he screamed out in eternal hellish torment. But suddenly, suddenly a giant hand of light pierced the darkness pierced the darkness, the nightmare of hell, and gripped a hold of his soul. And a booming voice uh, shattered the halls of hell. Because your mother is praying, because your anointed mother is interceding, your soul is being spared. He came back into his body. And the rest of the story is this. Curtis Kelly. Curtis Kelly is no longer Curtis Kelly. Curtis Kelly is Bishop Curtis Kelly, pastoring one of the largest churches in Los Angeles. And his repeated message is this. He tells his congregation, the only reason I'm alive today and on my way to heaven is because of the patient expectation love of my mother who kept praying and just wouldn't quit. Honey, sir, ma'am, young person, keep exercising patient love, tough expectation love. Release that love and expectation praying. Expect your lost loved ones to turn around and come home to Jesus. But pastor, the hurt goes so deep 
It's gone for so long. I can't do it. And I agree with you. In and of your human self, you can't do it. That's why you need a higher power to love through you. Fill in the blank. Pray this prayer. Jesus, give through me to the difficult person in my life what I'm unable to give. Your forgiveness, your compassion, your patient expectation love. Jesus, be Jesus in me. Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. Sing it with Cindy and I. Jesus, be Jesus in me. No longer me, but thee. Resurrection hour, fill me this hour. Jesus, be Jesus in me. Bow your heads with me. The Spirit of the Lord would say unto you this hour, this is your last chance. This is your last opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. Do not despise my love. Do not turn your back upon my patient longing for you. My spirit shall not always strive with man. This is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Don't wait. Don't reject my love. Call unto me, saith the Lord, and I will answer thee. Draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. This is your moment. This is your divine opportunity. Only heed my voice. Heed my call. Come home, my child. The Holy Spirit of God has spoken through the gift of prophecy here this morning. And I shudder in my shoes as to who, to what. This call is going forth. We look on the outward, but God sees the heart. I pray that you'll heed the voice of the Holy Spirit. If you are here this morning and you are not sure that you're right with God and you want to be sure, if you are here this morning you are not certain that you have a home in heaven and you want to be certain, this is your moment, this is your time, this is your opportunity. I'm prepared to pray a prayer 
a prayer of salvation. If you would like to be included in this prayer of salvation, if you would like to come home to Jesus and start this new year with God on your side, walking in His love, walking in His righteousness, if this is you, and you want to be included in a prayer, a prayer of salvation that I will pray, lift up your hand right now. Lift it up right now. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. How many more? Lift it up high so that I can see it. God bless you. I see that hand. This is not a time to play around with the things of God. This is serious business. This is serious business. God bless you. I see that hand. How many more? Lift it up high. I'm having you lift up your hand because this exercises your faith. It's a sign of your faith. It's a sign of your choice. Lift up your hand high so that I can see it. You want to be included in this prayer. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you, sir. I see that hand. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. God bless you. I see that. I don't always do this. It's been a long time since I've done this. But I sense the importunity of the Lord here this morning. I'm going to pray that prayer. But I'm going to ask you to make a big step. Most of us have made this big step at one time or another. We're going to sing that chorus, Jesus, be Jesus in me. And I want to invite you to come down here right now with me. If you lifted up your hand, I want you to come down here and join me. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. He was never ashamed of you. Stop worrying about what people think and start worrying about what God thinks. Come, join me right now. Don't hesitate. Jesus, Don't hesitate. Be Jesus in me.